0: Hello, I'm Mernas Campbell, CEO and founder of Kimia and Kimia Reset, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm really passionate about helping pharma field professionals to feel confident about using technology to improve the quality of their e- engagement with healthcare professionals. And for me, is the human side of digital transformation, enabling people to use technology is what I'm really curious about. And to explore this topic I've been interviewing, inspiring farmer leaders to learn from them and share their perspective. I just came back from Next Farmer Summit in Dubrovnik, and it was so refreshing to see it was all about people, not technology. It was about enabling people to use technology. And I felt for the first time, I was surrounded by a group of people who also cared about people as much as I do. Uh, and um, I'm delighted to have Rob Custer, uh, Rob, Director of Customer Experience at Havers Health and you with me today. Hi Rob, how are you doing?
1: Hi Manaz, uh, thank you so much for inviting me on here. I'm doing really good, thank you.
0: Perfect. Let me just tell you a little brief um, introduction for Rob. Um, he helps life science teams transform customer experience and customer experience is his new title He's a director of customer experience, and he does that through using tech, data, uh, AI solutions, and through thought leadership. Um, I've checked him out on LinkedIn, as you do, and he's a proud father of, uh, he's a proud father, and according to his LinkedIn profile, he's a (laughs) rubbish musician. Um, We were chatting about this earlier on, and I think it's really funny, like, it's a very British thing to do. If you're good at something, you say, I'm rubbish, right, Rob? I bet you're really good at music, are you? (laughs)
1: I'm no, I'm not I'm not brilliant at it. I can I can break out a tune. Uh technically I'm not great, but I don't really care because uh, what do you play? play uh a bit of guitar, a bit of piano, bit of drums, bit of most things. So I just really like playing music.
0: The fact that you play three musical instruments means that you're really good I mean if you were in America you'd be saying oh, I'm really awesome but because you're British you say I'm rubbish right yeah, so you've got well,
1: you've got to be on you've got to be understated you can't yeah too
0: and surprise people with your genius <laughs> um,
1: so,
0: <laughs> so, so Rob um, tell me a little bit about your career history even since first we announced this you've changed jobs uh, you started uh, a new job on Monday. So tell us about your career history, but also tell me what you're up to in uh, Hammers Health and you.
1: Yeah, uh, so my career has been pretty diverse. Um, I think I ran a pub. I've been a ice cream man. I've worked in market stalls and shops, and you know, for big companies like IMS now, Akivia. Uh, working client side I was seconded to Pfizer for a couple of years um, in the healthcare space been agency side I've been tech side so recently leaving Tangent 90 uh, and at places like Tana. but I think where there's been a consistency across all of them is I've gone with that human approach so you know it really speaks to where we are right now and trying to change things, to innovate, to to drive forward. Because if we're not moving forwards, then we're basically going backwards. So um, in truth, you know, have I found what I'm looking for personally in in the roles? Maybe not, but I feel as I'm getting closer. And I think with the recent move to Havas in the CX space, that really is kind of where my passion is right now. And I know that Havas is a great organisation where hopefully I can, continue to make more of a difference
0: Mm. i came across them last week they did an interesting presentation i think it was a different team in Havas. um they were talking about mental health for healthcare professionals and it was very moving um i i I was i was really um i was really impressed with the topic they opened up and um i've been posting about it since then as well but um i'd like to find out more about them so maybe you can educate me but uh, going back is interesting because I actually met you online and one of the reasons I wanted to interview you because I felt you had a refreshing perspective, you really cared about the humans uh, and what we need to do to make sure humans getting the most out of the technology rather than just focusing on technology. And I think some of the conversations that I've seen you being engaged and involved in that grabbed my interest was everybody's talking about omni-channel, multi-channel and sometimes they even use the two words interchangeably as if they're both the same thing. Uh, I was talking to somebody, I think they said they interviewed someone and in the interview they asked them what's the difference between omnichannel and multi-channel. It was a marketing position and they said nothing, they're the same thing. So I'm just curious to know what's your views, what's the difference and maybe you can explain it uh, articulately better than what other people are using <laughs> to describe the two words.
1: Yeah, no problem. So in my mind there's a there are two answers to this question so there's the practical answer and then there's the uh, strategic more um kind of higher level answer so from a practical level in my mind uh, multi-channel is more outreach so if you're a company farm company any company you want to try and use the channels that are available and where your customers are and that could be in person that could be email that could be social media it could be website it could be whatever but you have to create content that then you know uh, is fit for purpose within those channels uh, so that's what i you know multi-channel is outreach omni channel is more the customer experience so they should be getting the right the same experience across any channel um, you know whether it be any a website email any of those channels it should resonate in the same way, and mm-hmm. that's where it's more difficult. The the other answer to this is if you think about it from a mindset point of view, they're both similar mm-hmm. in that, you know, it, I would say omni-channel supersedes multi-channel because again, it should be aligned from the quality point of view of, of, of the experience. But you know, we'll get to it a bit later. Yeah, but I think having that omni-channel customer experience first mindset is one of the hardest things that we've got to overcome in healthcare and pharma actually Mm -hmm. doing it not not just talking about it
0: yeah and it's really interesting because last week dario at next pharma actually talked about customer experience and he shared his customer experience of visiting um harry potter world and um, how his experience went through a cycle but he left the experience being really happy and delighted. So I think in pharma, we don't often focus on that. We don't measure it. So if you don't measure, you're not going to focus on it. So uh, I'll be interested to explore more about your thoughts on this. Uh, uh, hi, Keith, I think you joined us. It's good to have you here. Maybe you can share your perspective on the chat, Keith, so we can you know benefit from your perspective on it. But I was going to ask you, uh, Rob, how do you believe pharma can best improve the customer experience?
1: Um, I think this is a massive question and I think it could take up the whole of, of our chat um, right. and more. Um, but I think echo, you know, echoing what I just said, so I think the mindset needs to change. And I think where it needs to change is um, there's a s- potential for CX to be another buzzword, like an omni-channel, like a multi-channel, like a modular content, and you know other buzzes that have come over the years but you know I think that having a customer experience to me just means customer first mm-hmm. thinking of the customer making sure that you're what you're doing is what they want and need Um I think if we can change that mindset uh, I, I think it will go a long way it'll go you know 50% of the way there to actually doing what we want. Um, and-
0: and who's speaking the customer, a, is the customer HCP oh. or is the patient?
1: Both, you know, mm-hmm. I was actually speaking to someone else quite recently about pharma tend to lead with a, a B2C style approach to marketing where the HCP is the C, is the customer. But really what doctors want from pharma companies and you know, everyone else is more support to give to their patients so should we be thinking about or at least balancing the view on marketing and and you know providing doctors with resources to support their patients which is more of a b2b model Mm -hmm. i think there's there's i think there's it's too far in the b2c way of thinking right now and i think we need to balance it out a little bit i I just want to say there's a colleague of mine called tara stewart who works for for havas in in the u.s that I'm going to steal a sentiment of hers in that mm-hmm. change is inevitable. So, and I think, you know, if we want to change mindsets, hearts, and minds, I think that's all about change. And people are, you know, it's negative connotations. People are kind of scared of change, but, you know, they see it as an insurmountable mountain. But evolution is a path up that mountain. Um, And I think maybe if we were to just chain tweak our thinking away from change and more of evolving where we are right now, it could be easier for us to get to where we want to go. I think half of the problem is that we're scared of change. Mm
0: -hmm. And um, where do you think the change should start and who's scared of it?
1: Uh, I think all of us. I think Mm -hmm. pharma companies are scared of change because, you know, it's a very risk averse industry um, and any change comes with a certain amount of fear. Um, I think doctors are crying out for change, but, you know, they have limited time and resource and, you know, if they got time to actually adapt to the change uh, or, you know, adding more to their plate, I think the only people that want change are the patients and potentially Mm -hmm. the partners. So, you know, you and I, you know, we're always looking to innovate at agencies and, and s- suppliers. And I think we have a mandate as suppliers and partners of pharmaceutical companies to encourage them and keep driving them forward to realise the changes that are going to positively impact all of us. Because we're all mm-hmm. patients.
0: Yeah. Well, um, Keith's sharing his perspective. He says that he's worked in technology for sales and marketing space for many years and he thinks that ethos of customer affairs is critical but most companies are simply adopting content for multiple channels so they're just doing what they've always done they're just using it creating it, repurposing for different channels and he says he also thinks we need to engage in a peer-to-peer relationship with our multiple stakeholders including acps patients payers um and I, i tend to agree with keith i think Every pharma company says we put patient at the center of our core values, but then the the behaviors are driven by profit and senior leaders in the companies are reluctant to change course because they've got responsibility to respond to shareholder profits. So I kind of think the change needs to really start everywhere, but also more importantly at the at the C-suite to drive because whatever C-suite wants and rewards behavior changes.
1: Did you Definitely. say you completely and I agree, am yeah. seeing that. You completely have agree. seen that. I am seeing that change. Yeah. So I'm seeing. Um, I can't say too much. Uh, I'm. I'm like three days into a new job, so I don't <laughs> really want to trip over myself after. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, saying I'm something seeing that. that isn't, isn't I'm right. seeing
0: that in some companies as well. Um, they're taking a completely different approach. They are restructuring around what's important, aligning themselves with um, ACP's needs um the focus is on providing a customer experience i'm saying that maybe one or two companies um they're probably leading on this but i think maybe yeah. everybody else is waiting and watching to see how they model uh, at yeah. all
1: mm. well i think you know part of the problem here a it's changing minds um, hearts and minds um but it's making it practical and this is what i was referring to before about the the buzzword in that you know, it has a risk of being a buzzword and it's a bit of a fluffy cloud at the moment, but Mm -hmm. how do you make it practical? And that's that's what my um, main ambition is uh, in this new role is to actually make it tangible, not just say, let's be customer centric and put a nice slide deck together, but actually come up with solutions about how we make the data points, you know, are we actually measuring the satisfaction of customers? How do we do that? How do we actually create the dialogue, as Keith was saying, with our multiple stakeholders, including doctors and patients, et cetera, to to really push that and push us forward?
0: Yeah. And I think Keith make a point about change management. You know, um, it is hard work, but often people continue doing what they've always done and trying to bolt change on top of it. What's your view on this? What is it that we should stop doing so instead we can focus on change management?
1: Um, I was going to come to this later, but I'll, I'll talk about it now in that, um, you know, if we if we think of where pharma companies need to be braver, possibly in, in the world or in, in the, the kind of general work environment, I think there's a big human challenge that pharma has and that it's not going to be solved overnight. And it comes from the overall culture of the industry in that if you think back, I've been in the industry for kind of 20 plus years now and pretty much every three years within a pharma company, there's a restructure or a reorganization mm-hmm. of some kind. And over a period of time, that's going to erode confidence in the individual and people are going to be scared of their job for their jobs so now you've got a collection of people who are putting more energy into protecting themselves than they are putting energy into benefit the company they work for and that's mm. not a great balance to have because then you're getting solutions and you know um you know it could be a website it could be an app it could be content it could be whatever that's being created to protect that person to act as a badge of honor to get you know maintain their job within a, a restructure or to you know get that promotion that they're looking for rather than creating something that evolves as we do we all evolve over time So mm-hmm. we all learn over time whether we we are conscious about it or not so having solutions that can grow as we grow can learn as we learn you know i think that's vital but you know in order to actually do that you're going to have to create new circles of safety as as simon sinek calls it where there is an environment built on trust you know um failure is accepted welcomed even um you know innovation is embraced and people feel trusted and i think mm-hmm. until we get to that point it, it's we might see wider pockets of uh, of people who are willing to innovate but I think there needs to be a big shift when it comes to uh, how we handle trust and relationships and things like that within pharma internally.
0: Yeah, and I think if people are scared of their jobs and they're doing what's required to maintain their position, is a completely different mindset. That if you think no matter what you do, you're not going to fail, because that's deemed as learning, experimenting, and you know evolving. Um, so I think yeah, they're completely absolutely. different mindset. What do you think companies are is anybody actually doing that right? Has anybody got it right to have that environment in the company?
1: I think there are more innovation labs popping up, and I know they're there things that have popped up you know every so often for a number of years, but I'm I'm hearing more and I'm hearing more, not just a global company has one innovation lab. I'm hearing the kind of local countries have their own innovation teams that, you know, either sit outside of the local team or they're, you know, very much part of their kind of above the, uh, the, the brand model, um mm-hmm. which is, which is a good start. I think I'm seeing more uh, partnerships with, with the likes of Havas, but not just Havas, you know, you've got Omnicom and, and others in there as well, who are being pushed more to innovate with their partners. Uh, their farmer partners and I'm seeing more amazing suppliers like yourselves um, who are you know being put on a stage to talk about where we should get to and ultimately we are just a collection of humans working to you know benefit humanity in in some way I think I don't think there's a person who's looking to you know do really bad things in in normal society so we're all trying to make a, a bit of a difference So let's do that together
0: yeah i think for me um change creates uncertainty and uh, you know nobody can actually predict details of what's going to happen but what's really important is communication just explaining why we're doing it and then keeping people informed I, i feel the company leaders have a responsibility to be the kind of like the champion for change and provide that reassurance, provide that communication, say like, this is where we are now, maybe we don't know exactly where it's going to lead us, but we're going to go to explore, and we're kind of doing this together, because if we don't do it, or we're just going to go backwards, we just need to evolve and move forward with it, and along the way, we figure it out, but if there's a big enough why, why are we doing it, and they communicate what we're doing, then everybody can figure out the how together, but I, I don't, often see that strong leadership coming to communicate it what happens is people go in the c-suite and like huddle and they're trying to solve the earth problems but they don't actually communicate out to the field to let everybody else knows what they're thinking where they're going and i think when they don't communicate that lack of communication creates fear itself because people think people always think the worst when they don't know what's happening so maybe there's a, there's a role about internal communication to keep people informed. Um, I mean, people so are it's talking funny, about...
1: It's funny. Yeah. Go on. Sorry, I was just going to say, it's funny you talk about that because I've been learning or trying to educate myself a bit more on communication recently. And I came across a study uh, that was the only study of its kind or the biggest study of its kind that matched happiness with health. Uh, I think it was Harvard University that did it. And mm-hmm. it covers about 700 old people. And it's at the moment covered an 80 year period with descendants of the original group of people now being measured as part of the study. And the main thing that came out of it was to make people happy and engaged and, and stuff like that from a health point of view, but also a communication point of view. Uh, it's relationships is the key mm-hmm. differentiator, a very human thing. Um you know, there's some stats that came out of it that I'm going to read. So uh, men on average tend to live 12 years longer and women tend to live seven years longer. If they're, uh, it says if they're married, but I think it, it relates to lasting strong relationships. If they have mm-hmm. a trusted relationship, then it's proven to prolong life, which is, you know, amazing. Um, yeah. And, you know, a really good relationship is, is built on good communication and yeah. maybe during COVID we kind of lost that a little bit because, you know, we we were all locked into our homes and communicating over over digital channels and whatever. I feel as though we're still coming out of that, you know, even though it's a few years past. We've all got PTSD from COVID still. <laughs> um, you know, we're the world is a bit more of a negative place and I think there's I'd love for this summer to be, you know, the, the 60s had the summer of love. I'd love to see that again, just to get us back to where we were from a, a very human relationship point of view.
0: I think human might relationship be too
1: idealistic,
0: but I think human relationship is important. I, I actually think COVID brought us closer because we were suffering together. And I think suffering brings camaraderie in some way as well. Um, we've got a couple of comments from uh, Gurav. It's good to have you here, Gurav, by the way um he says that regression to the mean is a very real danger for any individual who feels that they are innovating beyond the norm and um peers stick and peers stick to safe zone of operability operate operat, is it operability i can't even say that word but um yeah, yeah. and laura's con- con- contributing saying that she agrees if people don't communicate their vision it is hard to bring people along on the journey communication is key to trust and yeah, I, I thank Absolutely. you for that, for sharing that, Lara. Um, I, I think the norm in pharma is when they don't know what's happening, they they they, they 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 go into their cave rather than coming out openly saying, we don't know where we're going, but the purpose we have is too big. We want to save people's life. And this is the next stop. Let's figure it out together. I think they would bring people more with them rather than just, Keeping everybody in the dark because that creates uncertainty. So maybe you can echo yeah. that and have us <laughs> health and you to the leader I'll try, leaders.
1: absolutely. Yeah. 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 So
0: absolutely. um, I was gonna say um, what what would be the, if you could change the industry in one positive way? What would and that would be your legacy? What would you change?
1: It would definitely to be to um make customer experience and that customer centricity actually tangible and practical and get rid of this, uh, you know, erythrial, even though I can't even say the word, but the the, uh, um, non-tangible view that maybe is out there at the moment of it being another buzzword, because I really don't think it is.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you a different question. Um, I feel really passionate about field teams. Um, I think Mm -hmm. pharma companies don't often treat the field team as an internal customer. What do you think companies can do differently to bring that customer experience for the internal staff, not just field teams, but for marketing and everyone else to align? Because we talk about all these silos, but if companies internally applied customer experience methodology, then the silos would vanish, wouldn't they?
1: They absolutely would. And I think something that I don't see very much is you know you get marketing teams that create marketing content that the uh you know and content for reps that they push out but how many pharma companies actually engage the reps where their main knowledge is being held to actually create that content and qualify it and feedback um you know on that content to make it even more relevant on from a gra- grassroots level i'd love to see more of that Mm -hmm. um i'd also you know i think we've all heard stories of a rep sitting in a waiting room to see a doctor and because they're being measured via the crm they're skimming through their 20 slides that they're mandated to go through in the waiting room for the seven minutes they have with a doctor they can actually talk to them even though the doctor is emotionally drained and mentally drained and whatever and probably doesn't really want to speak to the rep
0: you know Mm -hmm. there's
1: still all this rubbish that they've got to go through beforehand to get to the actual meaningful part that coming back to it. And, you know, it's going to be a bit woolly, but is the relationship is the trust. Yeah. Farmer is way more competitive. Now, you know, there has to be a a loyalty. There has to be a trust. That has to be a focus areas like rare disease specialty. It's a battleground. So the differentiator is going to be, what are you doing for the doctor to help them with their problems? And that's sometimes that's just listening.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think if you truly, if you truly focus on helping them with a pain point, that's when they see us as an ally rather than somebody's there to sell them something. If you truly take solutions to them um, and the solution help them alleviate their pain points, then we are seen as a trusted advisor, not just a pharmaceutical I mean, sales look, or medical representative
1: well this this might be a bit controversial but you know if i could do possibly one thing i would actually drop the name sales rep and i would start using pharma rep instead as in you are representing the pharmaceutical company not the sales target
0: yeah i think we 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 beginning to use the field teams as a terminology because it doesn't matter whether you're MSL, um, yeah. a CAM, yeah. you are a field team. And we all representing the respective companies. So it's like field teams is an interface with the um, HCPs. Um, so yeah, yeah, maybe we need to change the terminology. I agree with you. I think the, the different countries have different connotation to sales. In US, they love it. In UK, there's a negative connotation associated with the terminology of sales. So um, yeah, maybe it's mm-hmm. better to have a more generic terminology. It's been absolutely yes. amazing to have you here, Rob. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your insight. Thank you for reminding us the importance of relationship as a pillar for building trust, but also for kind of a like yeast that could create that customer experience. And uh, I'm you know, I hope you would do great things in Havas. I know it's been only three days you started the job, but I think with the vision and the attention you have with people, I'm sure you can do great things.
1: I'll try my best.
0: No, I've got great uh, hopes for you. And I was going to say, I'm just going to, conscious of time, it's been great to have your contribution and feedback in the chat. Thank you, Keith, Gaurav and uh, Laura. And I just want to kind of wrap up um, our session today by just saying that, um, we shared um, our recipe because I felt we got our arms around this digital transformation and communicating using online content maybe a little bit earlier because I moved to US and started working remotely in 2017 when it was not so fashionable. So we shared our recipe and uh, through Kimia Reset. And we try, we did some research and we tried to make it fun and make it learning uh, engaging. And we focused on the human side of the digital transformation. And we found in a very short period of time, we were able to increase field teams' confidence, uh, quality and quantity of their engagement to the point that compared to pre-pandemic was five times more. Uh, we won several awards for disruptive innovation. And even last week we were featured in Digital First magazine, which was great. Um, I'm developing new content for the field teams, um, but also I'm writing a book around. Um, this topic is called the Omni advantage and is designed for uh, commercial leaders in pharma to be able to lead their organization through this change and focus on the people that perhaps we left behind so if you are looking um, for a solution to help your field teams gain confidence and embrace digital tools and online content or you just want to have a chat to figure out what your challenges are get in touch because we would love to hear from you. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Rob, for being an amazing uh, guest in our Digital Transformation series, and um, I'll look forward to catching up with you all soon.
1: Thanks, Melissa It's been great.
0: Yes. Thank you. Bye.